in John. It's page 1090 if you're using one of the Pew Bibles. John 21. And we're going to read the whole chapter together. John 21 from verse 1. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, a hundred and fifty-three, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. 
But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Amen. Well, thank you for the invitation to come here this evening. And uh, as mentioned, I do uh, pass on the greetings from Harper, Harper Memorial, and especially from Alan and Pam, who are very, very dear to us, and from Craig Dyer. Also from the Scottish Baptist Lay Preachers Association, of whom I am a member too. So thank you for the opportunity to come and share um, about our wonderful Savior, who truly loves us. Tonight, um, John 21 is the, the passage that uh, I'd like to look at, and thanks to Ross for reading that. And just before we um, start to dig into uh, the chapter, there's just a few points uh, that occurred that I'd like to just run over, um, uh, just some of the, the matters in the passage. First of all, fishing. Um, the fishing that's referred to, the normal pattern at this time was for fishing to be done at night. And this was really to ensure that the fish arrived at the market and could be used fresh the next day because people didn't have any means of keeping them fresh. And uh, so uh, if they were going to transport them, they would dry them. 153 fish is mentioned, as you would see, now, there are many um, Dan Brown Da Vinci Code type theories on the significance of the 153, but they are really all very tenuous. You know, the simple explanation is that um, this is how the fishermen used to um, countermeasure what they were catching, much in the same way as today we count it by boxes, uh, whether it's Pollock or um, whatever. Um, so 153 was a truly amazing size catch and something far, far more than they would normally expect in one evening. And as you saw, it was also large fish. Now, it mentioned the Sea of Tiberias. Now, the Sea of Tiberias is the Sea of Galilee. It was called Tiberias after the emperor, but it is the Sea of Galilee that this 
took place on, and that's about 60 miles from Jerusalem. Just one or two things regarding the disciples. Um, the disciple that uh, Jesus loved was undoubtedly John, and you know that he is the writer to this gospel. And he does appear to be um, humble, I believe, um, and somewhat reluctant uh, to call himself out, and he tends to use different phrases such as the disciple whom Jesus loved. But the key thing is that he had a very, very close relationship with Jesus. Thomas, Thomas the doubter, Thomas Didymus, as it was read in the NIV, sometimes referred to as the twin. Um, so we know him and we've put the label of doubter on him and uh, we certainly don't know anything about his family and who the twin was because there's no mention whatsoever in Scripture of that. The sons of Zebedee we know is James and John, also known the sons of thunder. And the other fishermen that went out in the boat were Nathaniel from Cana, and we believe it was Andrew, but the one other we do not know. And one other small detail, and that's you see that when Peter um, climbed out the boat, he put on his outer garment. Now, if anything, we would think if he's going to dive into the water, he would take his clothes off. At least that's what we would expect. But um, at that time, um, people always dressed properly when they were going to meet someone. And that's why he would put on his outer garment to go and to meet the Lord. So that's just wee bits and pieces. I only mention them because often when you're going through a passage, you get wee things cropping, coming up to mind, and um, it's maybe, I trust it's helpful just to cover some of these uh, small details. <clears throat> Last weekend, Easter weekend, you may have heard um, on the BBC, BBC Scotland, that they, they had <coughs> conducted a survey and it showed that um, the number of Christians worshipping on a Sunday had halved over the last 20 years. And many churches up and down the land are experiencing this firsthand as the numbers dwindle. And it is unfortunate that today many people just don't see the need of coming to worship and many just don't see the need of having a saviour. Indeed, um, people don't think to come to church to find a place of help. They go to all other sources in order to get help, but seldom, if ever, come to church. Philip Yancey, who I believe is probably an author that's well known to everyone. Um, in two of his books, What's So Amazing About Grace and uh, also the book The Jesus I Never Knew, he tells about a friend who worked in Chicago. He worked with the homeless in Chicago and he was trying to help a woman who was a drug addict. She was so desperate that she would rent out her two-year-old child to men. The woman would get $100 per man, and that was enough for her 
to get another fix. She was homeless, she had bad health, and simply no one cared for her. And as she poured out uh, her story to Philip Yancey's friend, the minister, he was absolutely overwhelmed at what he was hearing. He could barely take in the sordid story. And he eventually asked her, as you went through all of this, did you ever think about going to church for help? And he said in the book that uh, the look that came over the woman was one of shock, and she said, church? Why would I ever go there? I was already feeling bad enough. They would only make me feel worse. It does make you ask, why do people have this perception of church? For if we look in Scripture, we see the prostitutes and the others in need fled towards Jesus, not away from Him. And the worse that a person felt about themselves, the more likely they saw Jesus as a place of refuge. So, what's happened to His church today? Well, thankfully, God has given us some insight in the passage that we read. And this deals with a time when some of the disciples became sidetracked. And it was at a very important time immediately following the resurrection of Christ. So, in this passage, we're presented with three powerful lessons for the disciples, and I trust they'll help us in 2017. So, this evening, the title is The Three D, The Three Ds of the Christian Church in 2017. But it's not three-dimensional. It's three Ds, dependence, duty, and our devotion. So, firstly, our dependence on God in the first 14 verses. The first three of which we see the wasted night. So, as I mentioned, this took place between the resurrection of Christ and His ascension. And during this time, Simon Peter decided to go fishing with six others. The disciples decided that they wanted to do something they decided that they wanted to take some action rather than just sitting, waiting. Christ was no longer with them day by day. These disciples had gone through the dreadful events of Gethsemane on the Thursday evening, and then Easter Friday. And then they had the amazing news about Christ being alive. Death had been defeated, and they'd seen Him. You know, these disciples must have been all over the place. Emotionally, they must have been so confused all over this very short space of time. So, Simon Peter, he had decided he was going to do what he'd done for many, many years and go fishing. And the others said they would join him. And at least four of the group had been fishermen before they were called by Jesus. Now, they were in Galilee, for that's the place that Jesus said He would meet them if you read Matthew chapter 28 and verse 10. So, they were in the right place at the right time, but they were using the wrong methods. 
Instead of waiting on the Lord to come and give them direction, they began doing things their way based on what they knew. They were doing what they were able to do instead of doing what Christ wanted them to do. Now, we can be guilty of this in our church as well. Something may not be happening as quickly as we would want it or not the way we want it, or maybe nothing is happening in the church. And we hear of something that's working wonderfully well elsewhere. So why don't we try that? Or worst of all, this is how we've always done it, and we'll continue doing it even when it's long since brought souls to Christ or fed the hungry, cared for the poor or the like. For we need to be obedient to His direction, and only when the Lord directs us will we see success. We need to be more concerned with what the Lord wants us to do rather than just copying the latest church growth initiative or following some pattern from elsewhere. So they fished all night and they caught nothing. And this must have been very frustrating for Andrew, Peter, James, and John, for they'd been fishermen all their lives and they knew how to fish. But over these previous three years, they'd seldom been in their boat and things had changed. When they'd been called to follow Jesus, they'd left their fishing, their boats, and they'd followed Him. And Mark 1.17 tells us they had become fishers of men. That's what they were called for. But here, they'd failed in the task of fishing that night because they'd approached it in their own strength. There was nothing wrong with fishing. It just wasn't the business that Jesus wanted them to be involved in any longer. Now, there's a message here for us. For we need to understand that when we were saved, we were brought into a new relationship with Christ, one of total dependence on Christ Jesus. And this is the Lord's will for us as individuals and also as a collective church. We need to live in utter dependence on Jesus and realizing without Him we are nothing. John 15 and 5 says, If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit, and apart from me you can do nothing. And Paul reminds us in Philippians 4.13, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. We need to learn afresh to live in His power and not our own efforts. Then in verse 4 to 14, Jesus appears and we see things change. Verse 5, Jesus asked them, friends, have you any fish? This was really a question designed to bring home the reality of the situation that they found themselves in the fact that they'd fished all night. They were probably tired and hungry, and now this person shows up asking them if they've any fish. And their short answer is really an indication of the, rea the reality that they felt all too well. No. 
You know how it is when you get asked something that reinforces our predicament. We just give a curt reply. And at this point in time, they must have felt like failures. Now, sometimes our Lord questions or challenges us when we go about things in our own strength, when things don't work the way that we thought. But when He challenges us, it's not to rub our noses in it and our failures, or it, and it's definitely not to put us down. When He challenges us about our failed attempts at some form of self-sufficiency, His motivation is to give some renewed dependence on Him, for us to be more reliant on Him. We need to remember Romans 1 and 17, the righteous will live by faith. Or Hebrews 11.6, without faith it's impossible to please God. Under our strength and our efforts, things will fail, but His will never fail. Verse 6, we see Jesus tells them to let down their nets on the right side of the boat with the promise that when they do, they'll find the fish that they were trying to catch all night. When they obeyed the Lord's command, they were rewarded with a tremendous catch. What they'd failed with through their skills happened when they were obedient to His direction. What a lesson this is for the church today. We can organize and we can plan our church programs but we're not catching fish in the way that we should. What's the problem? Maybe it's the same problem that the disciples had. Maybe we're trusting in everything else instead of Jesus. We can never expect to do the Lord's will unless we go about it following His will. When we learn to fish and follow His direction, that's when we'll see an answer. This morning I'd mentioned Craig Dyer at Harper. We were uh, looking in Isaiah, Isaiah 38 and 39, and it was Craig that was preaching, and he was talking about King Hezekiah. I'm digressing here, but uh, you know, um, it was much the same thing, you know, where he did things his way and how it digressed from the way that Lord wanted. And it's exactly the same thing here. Verse 7, what a great verse. It's a penny-dropping verse. The moment of realization, it's the Lord. John knew that the person that was shouting from the shore was Jesus. Why? Because they'd done what He told them to do and their nets were full. When Jesus is directing and we are obeying His commands, great things happen. And also, in, this, in these few verses, verse 7 to 14, do you see how Jesus cares for their every need? They arrived on the shore. Jesus had a meal ready of fish and bread. They'd attempted to catch some fish, and He gave them a net full and overflowing with fish. 
They were weary and cold from the, the night, and Jesus had a fire prepared for them to warm and comfort them. And the lessons here are unmistakable. What we lack, He knows our needs, and He can supply. He's able to meet the needs, but not the greed of His people. Philippians 4.19, And my God will meet all your needs according to His glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Now, in the passage, there's lots of things that we can see that we can learn from as well. Namely, Christ is alive. And what a, a tremendous blessing that is. But see also, just consider what He was doing here. He's able to control circumstances. He's able to change in an instant what they'd struggled with all night. He was able to give them success. And the success of the disciples was entirely through Christ Jesus. They'd have wasted night of failure until He intervened. And what a success when He did. Now, we can stop and think, this surely takes some pressure off us, off you and I. Because we, if we realize that the harvest is truly the Lord's, and our duty is simply to walk in His will and to do what He tells us to do, we recognize that the responsibility for any success is firmly in His hands. Our job simply to obey. Success is the Lord's. We also see from this passage that Jesus can control from a distance. Jesus was on the shore about a hundred yards away, and the disciples were out on the sea, and yet the Lord was able to direct them exactly to where the fish is or was. What a lesson for the church today. You know, when we sail in the seas of life, Christ is seated in heaven, and He's able to move in our circumstances. He's able to meet our needs. He's able to direct our lives, and He's able to command His church. He's not out of touch. Jesus is able to achieve things through His people. Jesus is able to achieve in a moment what the disciples struggled with. And so it is with the life of the church. If we do it in our power, we'll surely fail. If we walk in the will of God, humbly seeking His will and looking for His powerful hand, then we'll not fail. We also see that Jesus wants to work alongside His people. Jesus had the fire ready, the bread, and the fish ready. But Jesus also said, bring some of the fish you've caught. It's needed for breakfast. He supplies, but He wants our participation. He wants to work together with us. And finally, we also see that Jesus is able to supply the needs of the people, of His people. 
when they came face to face with Jesus, that's when they found that he had everything ready and waiting. So our dependence is surely on God. Secondly, second D, our duty to God. Our main duty is love, especially in view of God's amazing love for you and I that comes to us free of charge. It goes against every instinct that we have within society today. The Buddhists have an eightfold plan. The Hindus, the doctrine of karma. The Jews have the covenant law. The Muslims, the code of law. And each of these offers a way for them to earn approval. But only through Christ Jesus does God make love unconditionally available to us. We can't earn it. It's unconditional to us. Love of our Lord and love of each other, for love covers over a multitude of sins. Three times Simon Peter denied our Lord. And we saw in the passage that he's asked to reaffirm his love for Jesus. Now, there are numerous commentators who have lots to say about the expressions of love that were exchanged between our Lord and Peter. However, let's remember, this is the man who boasted, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you, Matthew 26, 35. Previously, he was all talk and bluster, and we know that very night he denied Jesus three times. And here we see in the passage we read, Peter greatly humbled and a different person before the Lord. So what's this message for us today? Love the Lord your God with all your might and with all your strength. And as a church, we need to come to the place where we love the Lord with genuine agape love. That's self-sacrificing, self-denying, unconditional, unchanging, unending love for Christ our Savior that covers every area of our lives. And when we come to this point, we'll be able to live with John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We need to show the reality of this love to the lost world around us. And in doing that, we will show that the claims that Christ made were real. And that we, living in, that we live in a loving relationship with him and within our fellowship family. John 14 and 15 tells us, true love for the Lord always shows in our obedience to his commands. Verses 15 to 17 shows us our ongoing duty of the church. Peter is told in verse 15, feed my lambs. That's the wee ones. 
Then he's told, feed my sheep in verse 16 and 17. And that's the older ones. You know, the point is very clear. Jesus expected to share, to communicate the mind of God to all ages through his precious word. Now, if we talk about the church in general today, especially in the Western world, there's a problem. For we've got many preachers that will communicate their own opinions, or they'll communicate something that's socially or politically acceptable. Our preachers who preach something that is denominational dogma. However, if we are going to feed the lambs and the sheep, then we must open the Word of God and communicate the very mind of God to all people. For when they and we receive a steady diet of what the Lord is saying in His Word, that's when they and we will grow. And let me remind you, it takes every member of the body functioning in their appointed place to get the job done for Jesus. I came across an old illustration. I was reminded of it. I'm sure you've heard it before. But it was one about a visitor who was being shown around a leper colony in India. And at noon, a gong sounded for the midday meal. People came from all parts of the compound to the dining hall, and laughter, great laughter was heard when two young men, one riding on the other's back, were pretending to be a horse and rider, and they were having lots and lots of fun. And as the visitor watched, he saw that the man who carried his friend was blind, and the man in his back was lame, and the one who couldn't use his feet one couldn't use his feet and one couldn't use his eyes, but together they helped each other and they found great joy in doing it. And we need to think in terms of a church like that. Every member using his or her strength to make up for another's weakness. And that's what should be happening in every congregation of believers. And in verse 16, Peter is told to care for the sheep. Peter is told that they're to be looked after and their needs supplied. And the application of this can be found in Galatians. Galatians 6 and 2, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And this is what needs to become a reality in our church today. When people enter the church. They should know they're in a group of people who care for them and that they're loved. And we need to take every possible step to ensure that we love these people as much as we love ourselves. Another old uh, story I came across, you've probably heard this one too, there's an old African proverb that says, when a thorn pierces the foot, the whole body must bend over to pull it out. And that's really the interdependence that we need to see within a loving, caring fellowship. It's got to be a basic characteristic of our church. 
And this may mean putting aside petty differences, pointless squabbles, for when we genuinely love one another, the world will notice. And they'll notice the presence of God in our midst. And they'll notice Him amongst His people once again. So the first lesson is our dependence on God, and our second is our duty to God. And just finally, our devotion to God in verses 18 to 22. The first two of these verses provides a reality check for Peter. For Peter's reminded that the obedience to Jesus carries a great price. And Peter is told what kind of death he's to die for the Lord. When we decided that we'll walk in the will of the Lord, loving Him and loving each other, we can too expect to be attacked. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.12, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's going to be tough. And the reality is there is a price to pay. But surely we know that the presence of God far, far outweighs anything that could be leveled against us. The blessing that we have in Christ surely far outweighs this. And in this passage, Peter's restored to what he was called to originally that we see in Matthew 4, 18 and 19. He's restored and um, we're reminded that Christ had expectations of him. And Christ has expectations of us too in our walk with him. And it's simple, and it's the same for every person within the church today. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, and he must take up his cross and follow me. Matthew 16, 24. And when we genuinely deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow Christ, that's when we'll see our lives, our attitudes, our effectiveness and our fellowships changed forever. Verse 20 and 22. When Peter's told about his own death, he asked Jesus, what about John? It's as though there was some sort of rivalry in the mind of Peter about John. But Jesus responds by telling Peter to tend to his own life, and the Lord will take care of John. And there's another lesson there for our church today. Competition, both inside our churches and between our churches, should be eliminated. We should be working together for the greater glory of God, impacting the world for Christ Jesus, our Savior. We need to be holding up each other's fellowships in prayer. There shouldn't be any contention regarding the work of the gospel. We need to be working together to advance the kingdom of God in this needy world. So in conclusion, 
After this breakfast meeting with Jesus, these disciples were never the same. Peter, as you know, became a powerhouse, and the others serve with distinction and glorify God in their lives and ultimately in their deaths. Why the change? I think perhaps the answer lies in the fact that they learned some lessons that they never forgot that morning as they met with the risen Lord Jesus. Lessons they took to heart and allowed to work in their lives. Has the Lord spoken to us through this passage today? Perhaps on a personal level, God has spoken to you and you need, you realize that you need to improve your life with Him. Maybe some of these lessons need to be heeded and implemented in your life. Maybe these lessons just need to be reminded. You need to be refocused. Or maybe you're not walking with the Lord at all and God is calling to you for He wants the closest of relationships with any, with all of us. And He'll care for your needs just now. There's a great need for us to get together, to join our hearts in prayer for His church and for the future of this troubled nation that we're in. God moves in response to the cry of His people. I trust that tonight you'll do the will of God as you believe He is directing you. Today, let His name be glorified. Let's just close with a word of prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, we come before you and we just want to just acknowledge you as Lord of our lives, Saviour of our lives, and we thank you that you love the likes of us. Oh, help us, we pray, that we can be your obedient children. We thank you for the redemption that we enjoy. We thank you for the blessings that we have. We thank you for what lies in front of us, and we pray that we can be obedient to your direction and your will. Help us, we pray, this evening, tonight, and this coming week, and for the rest of our lives. May we be the treasure that you desire to see in our lives. Jewel shining for you, and we look forward, dear Lord, to the time where we're all at one with you for eternity. Bless us now. Give us the strength that we need in order to take on the challenges before us, but help us to be looking to you as we are totally dependent on you. Help us, we pray, dear Lord and Saviour. Bless us now, we ask, in your name. Amen.